You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 122. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. If you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. And leave a comment letting us know your thoughts. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. Today we are talking with Tyler Seeley. Tyler is the owner of Elysium Cards and Games, a WPN premium retailer, tabletop magic, Pokemon, and more in Fair Oaks, California. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. We had a few uh, few reschedules. We've we've you know had some some obstacles that we had to overcome, but I'm glad that we could finally have this conversation. Yeah. How are we doing this morning? How are we, uh, how are we doing in California right now? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, it's the, the morning of my one day off. Um, so it's, uh, it's nice and, uh, a little bit less stressful than usual. Um, but, um, yeah, it's rainy and cold, but I mean, we'll take it. The summers here are pretty brutal. Yeah, I live in Canada on the East Coast, so it's rainy and cold here, but this is to be expected. I always thought that California was sunny all the time, perfect palm tree weather, you know, year-round. Is it not? Maybe that's not quite the case. (laughs) Yeah, at least uh, here in the Valley. uh, It gets to the wintertime, and I mean, where we're at, we don't really get any, like, snow or anything, but, um, I mean, I think last night it was, like, 38, which, I mean, I'll take. I'm a big guy, so... I have to suffer through the summer, so I always tell people the winter is my time. I get to enjoy the cold. So, <laughs> well, that sounds pretty pleasant, at least that you've got that going on. And it's, I'm glad that you've uh, decided to share some of your day off time with us. I appreciate appreciate you uh, hanging out with me and having the conversation. Hopefully, it's a fun one. It's going to be good and you know uh, interesting. And uh, we're going to go down memory lane a little bit and kind of talk about you know the origins of the store. So let's let's start there. Let's. Uh, Let's go into the origin story of Elysium. Like, where did it come from? Why did you get into this industry? You know, sure. Where? What's your experience with tabletop games? Like, let's give us the lowdown. Yeah. So, um, uh, when I was, I mean, I think I I had the idea that I wanted to at some point in my life run a game store when I was like nineteen, twenty years old. Um, I had kind of a, a I came from a very like conservative, sheltered background. Um, so I didn't get into a lot of the hobbies that are kind of in the game store scene for a while. Um, I think I was like first introduced to the idea of tabletop RPGs in like high school. Um, and then it wasn't until shortly after that I started exploring them. Um, and then when I did, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, this is something I definitely want to do. Um, for a long time, it was just kind of like an idle you know, maybe one day kind of thing. Um, I played Magic with Friends. I played a lot of D&D. Um, that's probably my biggest, like, passion part of the shop is uh, the tabletop side of things. Um, and for many, many years, I kind of just enjoyed the games as my own hobby. Um, part of the, like, barrier to entry for me was I don't, I don't consider myself, like, uh, specifically when it comes to, like, Magic... Uh, some kind of like competitive, highly skilled player. I like playing around the table. I like playing with friends. Um, I was always very intimidated when it came to like coming to structured events. Um, and so some background, my father died when I was about 23. Um, and 
he left me with a small like life insurance policy um, to kind of his way of basically being like, if I'm not there to look out for you, this is a little safety net. And so that has afforded me a little bit of um, comfort and like security in my life as I got older. Um, and so one of the things that that meant was the uh, home that my husband and I share, I owned um, outright. Um, so I was in logistics for probably a decade. Um, and then when COVID hit, it, it got insane. Um, it was, I mean, we were working from home cause I was kind of like an office shop, but I was working 10 plus hours a day at minimum, um, calls after hours, high stress and logistics was already kind of high stress, but the, like what we were going through in COVID was even higher. Um, and I, yeah, it was, I mean, double, tripled our shipment count of the week. Um, and people's expectations were kind of crazy because now you took an industry that was already kind of outdated and overloaded. And now everyone's living at home and ordering all the things that they can. Um, and I kind of had this moment, um, where I, I like sat down my husband and I was like, I mean, I'm stressing myself out and I'm working all this, you know, these hours and I've been wanting to do this game store for, I mean, years since I was like a teenager. And one of the big, um, I guess, looming aspects of it was, uh, the time and the stress that was going to go into it. Um, my dad owned his own business for a while. I, knew that if I was going to do something like that, it would not be like, you know, some light little 40 hour a week thing, no big deal. Um, but at that point I was like, I mean, I'm already working all this time and I'm stressing out and it's an industry that I don't hate, but doesn't do anything for me. Um, it's not like I have a passion to watch things get shipped on trucks. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of was like, I, I really want to just, pull the trigger or at the very least see if it's feasible. Um, and so I kind of went on this whole, I finally was like, all right, I need to take an educated, like adult look at doing this. Um, Cause I, I don't have a college degree, um, but I knew that it wasn't going to be something I wanted to just, all right, well, you know, I'm going to get a loan and then we're going to do this. And then who knows? Let's see what happens. I don't know what I'm doing. And so um, I actually <laughs> read the book that the owner of Black Diamond Games wrote. Um, and then I combed through blog posts and forums of game shop owners, um, you know, looked at their trial and error and what they had gone through. And I also knew that our area in, like, the Sacramento, greater Sacramento area is um, kind of oversaturated. So there was the thought of, if I'm going to do this and survive... I have to figure out what I'm bringing to the table, so to speak, that um, other places aren't or they're not doing as well. Um, <clears throat> so we ended up taking a mortgage out on the house, which is ultimately how we were able to start the shop. Um, and I made the decision, and it's part of how I settled on the name Elysium, that um, the shop that I was going to build was going to have the the primary focus of inclusivity and, and welcoming to both like new players, but also um, as a person who's like a part of a marginalized group and being queer um, it's 
not a secret that a lot of these hobbies, especially nowadays, it's kind of being exposed, have uh, issues with gatekeeping or staying up to date on like what are progressive ideas. And so my, I mean, it's, it's our store motto now. Everyone is welcome at the table. The idea was if I'm going to do the shop, it's going to be welcoming both to new players and also people who maybe enjoy these things and have for a long time and have never felt like they can be in a store or they're welcome at their LGS. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I put in my two weeks after I, you know, kind of came up with a business plan and got the funding. And then I took maybe like a week or two off of everything. Cause I was like, you know, for the foreseeable future, once I do this, this is going to be my life. So we're going to get in like in for a while. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to give him like one last good vacation and some downtime at the house. And then, um, yeah, and then I hit the ground running, found a place, and it all kind of just went from there. If you don't mind, how much uh, funding did you kick things off with? Like, what, where, what was the ballpark did you start with? Yeah, so we actually, um, after kind of talking to like a mortgage agent and what we were like able to get and what I wanted to do, um, we started with $200,000. Um, in the very beginning, that was more than like i mean it was very much more than we needed just to get the doors open but i also wanted to be set for i think i did the math and it was like i wanted a solid year based on if i didn't make a single sale paying all my bills um and stocking the place of product and it came out to a little under that for the area that we're in oh good stuff so you built in like a runway for your shop to be like okay we could literally just ride it out for a year and still be okay. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's not what happened, obviously, but you've <laughs> yeah. got enough capital to be like, we can just, we can, you know, have nothing happen and just build this and get this thing rolling. Right. And not go bankrupt. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I knew I was, um, the way I was hoping to time it was, um, you know, lockdown was kind of ending. Vaccinations had been rolled out. Um, uh -huh. So the idea was I'm opening at a time when people are getting out, back out of their house but because of that i knew that you know it could be slow to start and it's a small business so that's the nature of things so um yeah i calculated like a year of rent um the startup costs year of utilities all that kind of stuff plus you know accounting for uh a year's worth of my pay to help with our bills that we still have um even though Sure. Currently, I still am like, it all comes out to about minimum wage for myself. Um, but, you know, enough to get us covered. And then, assuming no one walks in the door ever, uh, we'd survive at least a year. That's excellent. Because not, not a lot of game store owners start their journey that way, right? Like, a lot of places start off with just enough to get the doors open and hope that they just, like, hit the ground running, right? You have to, you got to make it right off the bat. And that's one of the reasons why so many of them struggle right that first year because you need to make that money you need to make those sales in order to just keep things happening and then that's super stressful and you've got to you know constantly think about like well what's coming up next what's coming up next and what do we do to keep the flow of customers going or else we're going to be you know we're, we're two weeks away from shutting down at any given point right. and that's a really hard way to kick a business off right yeah if it, the the assumption that oh if i have a game store people will automatically go to it is um it's not realistic, and I I knew that going into it, and I had to kind of take those first couple of months of being like, all right, I've seen, like, two people today. Um, 
Whew. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of it is it's not just, I mean, the, the hobbies that game stores support are already niche by nature. Um, mm. but I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into just letting people know that you exist on the map. Um, and so there is no just like, oh, I have a game store. Now the door's open and now all of the nerds will find me. Um, there's just so much more to it than that. Some of the nerds will find you. Some <laughs> yeah. Of them, like the, the word will spread, but it's not going to be immediate, right? Like you, you do have to go, you have to do some of the footwork to get out there. Right. Spread the word, really. Build that community, preferably before you open the doors so that people are ready and waiting and excited to come spend their money with you and you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So when you were doing the, the, the whole research and you're building out your plan, you're figuring out how much you needed, uh, did you reach out to other store owners to be asking like for advice or direction or was it, you know, just uh, like solo work? <clears throat> I had um, kind of throughout maybe the past half a decade, I would strike a conversation with store owners um, and pick their brain about it. Um, I lived in Idaho for a little bit, which is actually where I met my husband. Um, and there was a fairly large store in Boise um, that we would go to and I would always kind of just ask idle questions of the staff and like their, what they were dealing with and whatnot. Um, and then when we came back to California, um, I would ask a few things here locally. It was a little, I was a little, um, cut off because I just had not gotten to know a lot of the established community and network. I didn't play at a lot of stores. Um, we did a few pre-releases here and there. Um, so a lot of it kind of came from just, small business owners in general. Um, okay. When I started and like, you know, I started in a, a Facebook ad campaign a month or a month and a half before I opened um, to start generating that interest. And when I did, another store owner actually reached out and was basically like, Hey, I'm only a year and a half ish year old, years old too. Um, if you need advice, you need anything, you know, let me know. And then actually that started um, what now is a really good friendship of mine. <clears throat> and he's been a big help and resource in that too. Um, and so, yeah, I started pinging his brain right off the bat. Um, we met up. He looked at the space. Um, just kind of offered some of his advice and um, what he had experienced like in the local community a lot. And that was, that was a big help in like feeling more confident in what I was doing in the beginning and then also feeling like I had a better idea of what I was getting into. Um, so that yeah. was nice. Did you run into like negative feedback in the sense of people being like, Hey, maybe this isn't something you should be doing right now. Like was there any uh, pushback on like your plans and your, your dream for the store? Yeah, I definitely saw, um, you know, I saw plenty of people, you know, I was reading testimonials of some people just being like, no, this was the bad call. Don't do this. I did this. And, you know, owning a small business or a game store is so stressful. Um, a lot of my immediate support group was very supportive. Um, definitely some people were kind of in that questioning of, okay, there's a lot of stores around here. Do you think you can do that? Um, one of the things that's really nice about, um, like what my husband brings to the table on that side of things is, um, he is very good at playing devil's advocate to make sure I've thought through a decision completely. 
our our style of personality is very much like I see the thing, I want the thing, I'm going to run at the thing. And he'll be like, okay, but there's like 38 obstacles ahead of that. Um, have you thought about, I don't know, any of those? And so when I was first kind of proposing it, he was like, okay, but we know that there's a dozen maybe stores in the greater Sacramento area of varying size or focus, but like, you know, there's a lot of them. Um, and COVID is still kind of towards ending. Are you sure this is a retail store? And then, you know, you're going to be here six days a week, 10 to 12 to 14 hours a day. Um, and it was less from a point of like, you shouldn't do this and more of just like, I'm making sure you're not going to jump into this and then implode because it's highly stressful. Um, but for the most part, I think everyone around was very supportive. Um, and very helpful in the process too. So yeah. people who are confident in your ability to get things done, but also give you a little bit of a, you know, well, have you thought about this? Well, have you thought about this? You know, making sure you've thought all these things through. That's a good balance. That's a, it sounds like you have a good group, you know, surrounding you to help you, you know, to help advise you through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Because that first year or two or three, depending on how things go, can be very challenging if you don't have people who are there to kind of help you along the way. Right. And give you some good advice. So it sounds like you've got a good, good setup going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good, uh, I am very fortunate with the people I have in my life. Um, and yeah, always very helpful. Um, I mean, a small business is a lot of work and, uh, it's very often more than just the one person that's running it. Um, and that is very much been the case with the people around me. I mean, um, I have a few people who help me out regularly in the store, um, or like man the counter and they're also helpful. And then sometimes all four of you get COVID at the same time and suddenly like one of your friends is running your Pokemon night. So yeah, that's been like integral to at least getting through some of the days is the people that I have around. So you said originally that part of the identity of the store is that it's inclusive. You know, you mentioned it's queer owned. It's it focuses on a a community that maybe not uh, or hasn't been really uh, welcomed as much in the hobby industry as it has been. Uh, so. How has that played out, I would say? like, How has that affected your position and your perception? How do people come to you, and how do they feel about it when they interact with your store? Yeah, how do you so, make that a thing that like, people feel when they come into the shop? Right. Um, so that was um, kind of something I was trying to lay into, like, the foundation of the store from the beginning. And it's translated a lot to, um, you know, obviously you, you want to be engaging and friendly to new players and welcoming and everything. Um, but there's also a certain aspect to it where you have to build that culture in the store. Um, cause I can be as welcoming as I want in the shop to new players, but like if I've garnered, like I've gathered this group of people that are highly competitive and to a point where like, maybe it's not fun to be around, um, that can be off-putting to like newer players. And so, um, a lot of it has been honestly, um, for the, for the not maybe marginalized group, but people who are intimidated to be in store and organized play started with me essentially admitting that I'm not, never been one of those people either. You know, people would come in and be like, Oh, I don't go to tournaments. I'd be like, yeah, me neither. Uh, people see the owner behind the, the, the desk 
and they assume they're great at everything that they sell, and uh, I'm not. I'm very bad. Um, I, like, run D&D <laughs> games, um, but that's probably, like, the thing I may be good at. Um, and we also, like, I was very, very fortunate, like, day one of the shop opening, um, somebody who plays a lot in local constructed magic play um, came in because he lived down the street. We had a great conversation. He loved the place. And that became the foundation for the growth of our, like, constructed play scene. Um, but in presenting the store in, like, it's it's always very clean and bright, um, a lot of art, a lot of, like, you know, rotating out faded old posters and getting those out of there. So it doesn't look like the quintessential, like, Gamer's Den um, did a lot to get uh-huh. people that weren't your average game store customer in the door. Um, in fact, that that same person who would come in, uh, like, a month into me being open, had our first, like, night of Modern Magic play, and his, um, now wife, but his girlfriend at the time came in, and she had said, uh, this is the nicest store he's dragged me into. Um, and I was like, okay, so, you know, I've got the, the partner who's not a gamer at all, really, coming in and bringing a book to hang out for a couple hours while he plays, and she feels comfortable doing that. Um, so it was, you know, and then talking to those kinds of people that maybe weren't regulars in the sphere or weren't regulars in shops and being like, you know, getting their feedback on what they liked about the store, um, what the, the, what appealed to them and maybe the things that they had experienced that they did not enjoy at other locations. Um, and so that was the start of like maybe the outside of our regular demographic growth. And then for really appealing to, um, like marginalized groups and whatnot. Um, I mean the, the biggest thing in the beginning was, uh, we have this really nice front display, um, window. It's, it's a very, it's a pretty great shopping center that we're in. Um, so, the curtains actually uh, were pride flags um, for the front of the store. Um, and now they still are. I just have, like, nice curtains behind them, so they actually block light. But that did a lot. Oh, hello, Griff. Hi, bud. Um, that did a lot in the beginning to kind of, like, put the beacon out of, you know, this is a place where you are, you know, you can feel welcome. You can be different and want to be here. Um our logo that I commissioned from a graphic artist, I also got it in uh, Pride Colors. Um, <clears throat> we put a lot of it into, like, our motto. I mean, everyone is welcome to the table. Our website had, like, a small little blurb about, like, why I made the shop, um, what I'm looking to bring into it, and the people that I want to feel welcome in it. Um, and now that has, I mean, like, our first year in June, we did a fundraiser for the General Health Center. Which is a, a local nonprofit in Sacramento, um, and then we're able to like do networking um, with other groups. Um, the Sacramento LGBTQ Center. Um, so, kind of making those connections and also helped because you know then you start talking to people and they're like, "Oh, I love magic. I just don't really play anywhere, or like I don't go anywhere, you know, super often." But yeah, maybe I'll check that out and. You know, now those people are regularly coming out to a game store where they weren't before. Um, mm-hmm. So the biggest thing, and it, it's actually, I, I don't think I realized it at first, but 
a regular of mine um, said it, and it stuck with me, was he had said the difference between, like, our shop at Elysium and a lot of the other shops in the area is, uh, he said, your success is going to be tied to how involved you are specifically to it, as in me. He said, because you're you're very personable, but you also just are genuinely talking to people about what they like and what they're into and what they're in the store for. And he had said, I've been to a lot of stores in my life. Um, the staff is friendly enough, but you know, there some, there's not a lot of owners behind the counter asking people why they like being there or feel welcome there or what they want to see there. Um, and he said, that's, that's a huge part of it. And that really stuck with me. And I, I kind of made it a point to myself where, you know, if we have all the success in the world and it's amazing and the business explodes and I'm just living the high life, I never want to get to a point where I'm out of touch with what's going on in the store or the community around it. Um, because it's been apparent that that is why we've grown the way we have and gathered the community we have is because it isn't just a, you know, a place to come buy product. Because people can do that at Walmart and people can do that online on Amazon. It's a place to be and exist and enjoy and spend time and meet people. And by that same token, um, the responsibility of me and anybody I have behind the counter is to further that. And to grow that community and to get to know people and find out why they like being there. To then make sure that's something that we're um, improving or working on or maintaining. So... Yeah, a lot of it is just come from really relationships. It's it's more of a relationship business than maybe I considered when I first opened. Um, and less of a, I sell things to you, and more of a, like, I now feel like I somewhat know you. And we have a rapport, and we talk about, you know, what's going on in your life. Or did you see this thing the other day, and now you're invested in the success of my shop because you like being here um, and you feel welcome here or maybe you haven't before or, you know, it's just your go-to Friday night magic place um, because it's not just a Target or Starbucks that you do your work at. So, You can get a proven digital marketing strategy implemented for your game store in the next 24 hours that generates sales and grows your email list at the same time. Using a powerful combination of Facebook and Google ads and email automation, we can plug in our proven digital marketing system and start driving sales and growing an email list for your game store almost immediately, all without you having to write a single ad or newsletter. Of all the strategies we've implemented for game store owners, this particular combo is my favorite. I love being able to generate results quickly and measurably, and our clients love it too. If you want to find out how we can plug this system into your business in the next 24 hours, go to maniversaga.com forward slash autopilot and book a quick consultation call. We'll ask a few questions to see if we're a good fit and then jump into implementing everything right away. No long setup times, no major commitments, and no tech headaches. That's maniversaga.com forward slash autopilot. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest part of it. That makes me very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've, you've said that because that is something that I think not a lot of shops emphasize enough. But it's the idea of like being curious and staying curious as to like what is it about this place that you like? What games do you like? To, what do you want to see? Just like the idea that I think a lot of uh, 
budding or hopeful store owners have is that I'm going to have to make the shop and it's going to be my way. This is like my dream. It's going to be this way. And I'm going to sell these products and it's going to be great without, you know, really understanding that it's as much yours as it is the community that you're building it around. And you have to be responsive to what they want, right? You have to be willing to adapt and change. You can't just be the comic book guy from the Simpsons, just telling people what they like. And this is the comic book for you. And like, that, that doesn't work that way, right? Like that you will, you will not find success with that business model. But if you have a store and you have somebody like you, who's more than willing to just have a conversation with somebody, build that relationship, you know, find out what they enjoy, find out what their obstacles are, like what's preventing them from, you know, finding the place, uh, you know, before, right? Well, why would they not go to a game store prior to, right? Like understanding that and what's stopping somebody is the, you know, is the way that you understand how to give them what they need. Right, because it reveals everything about what this person was missing from a potential community. You can tailor your your offering to that. So the idea of being curious and being responsive and being willing to adapt and change and and be flexible on what the community requires, or what they're hoping to, you know, what kind of experience they're hoping to have, that they point you in the right direction. Right. So I think that is a really like a great foundational principle to build a business on, which totally makes sense as to why like you've 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 had this success, this growth and this progress towards like something that's uh, obviously building and you're creating a connection with people that people value, right? People don't care. Like you said, the store, it's not about the products, you know, tons of places sell magic, tons of places sell Pokemon. You can get board games at Walmart. You can get most of these products online. The people come to a game store because they have some sort of a connection with the people inside of it, either with, you know, fellow customers and players, but also with the people running the business. And when you've got that rapport that you mentioned where somebody actually cares about you as a person and cares about your employees and the fact that they want to see this thing be successful, part of that is patronage, right? So if you can build that relationship with people and actually, you know, you, you have a genuine care about what they actually want to see. It's not just like, uh, I think Starbucks is a good example of that. Where they do build a relationship with people, but it's also like, you know, you, you still know you're just a customer. It's not... Yeah. There's not much deeper there. They have the space and you can do your work there, but it's, you know, it's not personal, but it is personable. Um, yes. And that's people, a great way to put it. People tell you what they want, um, even if it isn't, you know, verbally upfront, you know, directly. Um, it, it, it will take some time and it has for me and then some of the people that help me out. You have to learn sometimes how people will say it. And sometimes it's not with words, it's it's with, you know, what they're buying or what they're doing or what they're coming in for. But people that are, you know, especially in, like, the market we're in, in the, the hobbies we're in, people want to play the games. People want to play them with people, you know. There's all kinds of single-player games. Video games are huge, great, I mean, wonderful things. Uh, I play them too much and not enough now because I have no time, but people want to do these things and they will tell you how they want to do it and what they want to do. You just have to pay attention and listen. You have to look at your, you know, your attendance and your, your events that do well and the things that move and what people say. And I, it's, it's funny because I also have even just like regular, some of which have become very good friends. Um, but they even get to the point where they're so invested where, they will tell me what they have heard from other people under the guise of, you know, another customer having a conversation at a table. 
Um, they'll sit down, play a game of Commander, and then later that day they'll come up and be like, hey, so-and-so was saying that they like really liked the blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Um, I'm jotting that down and making sure that it's there. and you know, Or even, oh, they said that every time they go somewhere they can never deal with X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay. And it's that's the other part of it is, yeah, striking up the conversations, but also just listening and observing. Um, because, yeah. yeah, it is like you said. I, I could be determined to be like, this is going to be the store I wanted my whole life, like, this way. And it's like, well, yeah, to an extent, sure. But also, there's a part of that that you have to pay rent with. Um, and so you have to make sure that what your store that you want to do is doing is also what other people want it to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 100% right. You you have to... It's, it's communal. Um, very much in the way the games are. It is, I'm providing the space of these products and selling things, hoping that I can, you know, pay my bills with it. Um, but also, you are patronizing my store, and I acknowledge that there might be easier or cheaper or faster ways to get some of the things or do the things you want to do. So I have to show you I appreciate the fact that you're choosing to do that here and you're choosing to help me pay rent. It's a shared experience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You have to treat it that way. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, you can ask somebody directly, hey, what kind of games do you like to play? Hey, what kind of environment do you like to play? And like, you can just be direct and be like, tell me what you want, right? Right. But sometimes people don't know what they want either, right? That's the trouble is that understanding ourselves is hard enough, right? So sometimes yeah. you don't even realize what you're looking for, mm-hmm. especially if you're new to the, the hobby industry. Like, I went to, and, you know, somebody who just walks into the store for the first time and has never played uh, Magic before, they might really love it, but they have no idea, right? They have no concept of how to compare it to other things. There's, you have to kind of work your way into that. So the idea of being observing and saying, okay, well, you know, what else do you like? Maybe how do you interact with certain things? And maybe, oh, you might like this if you like this and that kind of thing. And being able to advise and pair people up with the right kind of experience for them but also just being willing to kind of be a little bit more roundabout and not necessarily so direct i was thinking about uh like one of the quotes i believe it was henry ford before it was like you know prior to the model t and everything was like well if i asked people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse like nobody could conceptualize the car right because it didn't exist prior to this thing being made right. so like the idea of like people don't actually understand what they need right off the bat you have to kind of help them figure it out yeah and that that's part of the conversation it's part of the technique of being a really good business owner is kind of leaning into that and then being open to just observing and doing that customer research that's so important and it never stops that's the other the other part is that you know you do that at the beginning for your business plan but then sometimes that's where it ends right they're like playing done this is the this is the 20-year roadmap for this game store, and it's never going to change. Yep. Like, well, that's not how it works in real life, right? That The uh, complacency is is such a dangerous thing. I mean, I... So, another uh, another fortunate, like, thing that I have is I... Um, or, I, I guess, experience that I have is I've worked... In my logistics career, I worked for um, a franchise of, like, an international company, and I have um, a gentleman that has kind of become my mentor. When my father passed, he kind of, like, really helped me figure out things, but he's been a small business owner for a long, 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 long time. And when I was working for him, got into the management kind of side of things with him, 
Um, one of the things that he had instilled in me, and I had seen it with my father growing up, is that, um, I mean, A, having a small business is very difficult. It's a lot of work. Um, but another big thing is if, if your business is not actively trying to grow and improve, um, it is dying or it is shrinking. There is no, like, the, people can think, oh, we're just coasting, but really you're, you're not. You're either getting better or you're slowly getting worse. Um, and so I kind of knew that from the get-go is even, you know, if things are looking good and everything, um... I never want to stop trying to find ways to improve or be better or at least trying things, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, I mean, no matter how small, um, what, one of the things we did um, as like a little example I, I use sometimes is, so when we got uh, premium with the WPN, you know, the big, one of the big things for us with like constructed play is now that they've brought back competitive in-person play, is with their regional championship qualifiers, premium stores can not only host two of them a season, but each one can have uh, two people that get sent. So we now get to send four people a season onto regionals. Amazing. Um, and so, you know, that allows us a little bit of notoriety, and we're trying to make them into a little bit of a bigger deal because it's a nicer store and we're premium. And so, like, one of the things that I did as just a, a very quick and honestly very cheap thing to do is on our RCQ days, first thing in the morning, I go into the vending machine and I set the water bottle line to dispense for free the whole day. And in my car, I get an extra couple of flats of waters. And then when my judge comes in, we chat and he announces, hey, all the competitive players, uh, just so you guys know, water is free for the day. You're here all day. It's going to be a seven, eight hour day. It's very minimal cost for us but like yeah exactly and a lot of those players are like oh uh cool that's really nice um just something i don't have to worry about now um and that was just one of those things where it's like you know i'm gonna give this a shot ultimately bottled water is not very expensive uh, we already don't charge that much for it as it is um let's just do this and see what happens and it was a small thing that a lot of those players liked and it's throwing around ideas like that the guys i have that kind of help me out or work for me i'm always like you know if you you think of something let me know we'll talk it through we'll see if there's something there um mm -hmm. and the guys that i have have you know a couple of them are in these hobbies also so it's like think of what you'd want let's try it out if it doesn't work it doesn't work and you know not everything i have to throw the whole you know bank account behind but um you know, there's the, the phrase of, well, that's the way we've always done it. I, I've hated it. I will always hate it. It's terribly short-sighted. Um, and, I mean, we've even seen it with other stores in the area. It's like, I mean, yeah, sure, it's worked this long, but that's not in perpetuity. The market changes. I mean, 30 years ago, Amazon didn't exist. Uh, so things are always, you're always going to have to adapt to what's going on. I love that, too, because... That actually brings me, like, flashback to a talk that I gave at the last uh, LGS Success Summit. It was specifically around the idea of doing something remarkable in the, like, literal definition of the word, that people will be like, hey, I went to the shop, and they, they did something that, like, no one has ever done before. They gave, it, they, you know, they gave away free water, and it was, it was something that they did not expect. It's probably something that, you know, really surprised them. And surprise and delight, right? Like the idea of like, oh, that's that's a really nice thing to do. That's great. Like it's nothing crazy, but it's a really nice thing to do. And it's one of those things that, uh, 
it's not particularly difficult. It's just sort of like, well, no one's ever really done this. Like, no game store, like, you know, no game stores, like, just give away free beverages, right? Like, it's not really something that happens. Right. But, like, what if you did, right? How much is it going to cost versus, you know, like, it's probably relatively minimal if it's a short period of time or something like that. But then, like, how much are you going to blow away people in, like, their mind and, like, just the amount of surprise that, like, no other store has done this before? If you can figure out a way to match those two things, because, you know, it's not necessarily tied to beverages specifically, but <coughs> if you can do something that people will be shocked in a good way, that doesn't cost you all that much, but it's something that people will, like, go back to their friends and, and tell them, like, hey, did you, you know, like, were you there? Like, I, I went to this tournament or I went to this event and, like, this is what happened. I gave away free pizza or something. Like, it wasn't on the thing. It's just everyone got a free pizza. It was crazy. Right, that's something that people they'll tell a story, right? Like they'll go and tell tell their friends, they'll tell their family, like that's how you get word of mouth. Right, right. that's the thing that people will actually remark upon. So I really like that's it ties in really nicely with the idea of being adaptable or adaptable and responsive and observing what people are interested in and kind of <laughs> not being the traditional game store, right? Not just following the pattern that everyone else has followed in the past, blazing a new trail. You know, like I look. I really like that. That's a really great way to to, uh, to do things going forward. I'm I'm excited to see what happens, and how you keep you know iterating on all, all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's nice. And then being able to do things like that then has um, has your customers that are your regulars, your regular supporters, you know, that group, then feel like maybe they can throw things out there. You know, hey, have you thought about next time you do this? And um, I mean that's. That's great. That that's priceless because those are people in the community supporting the shop, doing those things, and now they're just going to do the work of trying to figure out what is a nice little thing you can do or a thing you could change up. Um, you know, free up some bandwidth on your brain power that's trying to just you know get through all of the magic sets coming out and order the new D and D books. Um, and they can sit there and be like, hey, so I sat with this one D and D group that plays here every week, and we were thinking, what if you did this thing? And you can go, oh, hey, that's that's actually great. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll look into that. Um, like we're we're talking about putting uh, together um, draft kits because we have a really good draft crowd on Friday Night Magic. Uh, a lot of people come and uh, have a great time. And the husband and I pre-releases were one of the only things we regularly went out to stores to. And we have like a box of to-go like um, sets of sleeves, basic lands, uh, spin downs, and we just we grab it and go, and it's perfect. And we were chatting up with some of the drafters, and they were lamenting about losing sleeves or having to get sleeves every time they draft. And we were like, let's just see if we can put together some draft kits. And then you come, and you buy a draft kit, and you don't have to buy sleeves all the time or play with bare cards. And, you know, we make a little bit of money on the deconstructed boxes of sleeves and whatever. So, yeah, little little stuff like that um, that is more than just like, okay, buy the boxes, price the boxes, put them on the shelf, sell them. And then whatever doesn't sell, put it online. And so, yeah, I mean, we could do that, but that's what the other 10 stores are doing, and that's what bigger companies are doing better. So what are we doing here? Like, I don't, I don't want to work at Target. I want to work at Elysium. I want to work at this place. Really going into that fundamental question of, like, how do you differentiate yourself? Mm -hmm. What makes you your store different? What makes it different in the minds of your customer, right? Why come to you when they have thousands of potentially of other choices right online in in real life different shops to visit different stores that they can 
find their hobby needs, you know, satisfied, right. why come to you, right? And it's it's those things. Like I think, at least from my end of things in this conversation, it sounds like you're really <clears throat> observant and you're willing to you know to pay attention to what people actually want, and you're you're willing to uh, adopt those things and and make it part of the business. And I can't see how something like as a customer, that's something so incredibly valuable that almost no businesses really do, or very rarely. Like you don't expect to, I don't know walk into a random retail clothing store like the gap or something and then and then have the person be like so did you think like what do you think about this rack you know what kind of colors are you looking for for the season like you know how, what do you how do you feel about the story like does this look good to you like they're yeah. not going to solicit that kind of stuff from you right they don't care about your opinion on the shop for the right. most part you're not going to get that kind of responsiveness from almost any other retail operation really any other business right but game stores are special if you can make that happen you can make that part of who you are and you're part of the core, mm -hmm. uh, then you get those great ideas, right? You get people who are invested in the sense of like, they're a part of your community and they feel like it and they want to see it succeed. And then they start adding into it. They're not just taking out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, and it goes to that. I mean, one of the things I had read um, in that, that book was the idea that nowadays a local game store needs to be a, a third space. It needs to be that place. Mm -hmm. People want to spend significant time at um, when they can. And there's really nothing that's a better draw to get people to hang out and spend time in the seats than feeling like they're contributing to it more than just, you know, patronizing it. Uh, when people know that they can come in and go like, oh, you know, I saw that you like, you know, you like that art that this person did and you put it on the wall. That's great. I mean, there's, there's a kid who he's honestly one of my like favorite stories to tell about like the shop's identity um but i i think he's about like 16 and he started coming in at the very beginning um very shy reserved um didn't talk to a lot of people but he came in on our commander saturdays and played um and had a good time and slowly over the like i mean we've been open about 14 months now but slowly over like the first year i would see him starting to kind of strike up conversations with people more um he slowly, like, started coming in less and less with, like, a, a hoodie pulled over his head and, like, kind of bunched together. And next thing I know, he's coming in and he has, like, makeup on and he's trying out, like, new styles. And then during one of our Pride Month events, he's, like, sitting down in a Commander game with a couple of, uh, like, um, uh, basically, like, old queens. Um, and <laughs> next thing you know, like, I mean, he's he'll come in on Saturday. He'll come right up to the counter. We'll talk. He'll tell me about something he did this week. And ask me about a couple of the people that are here. I'm like, oh, how are they doing? And I'm like, oh, you know, they're good. And um, he'll tell me about a deck he's building. And um, one time his, uh, I was I was out in front of the shop. He was getting dropped off. And his mom, like, leaned out the window. And she goes, oh, do you work here? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the owner. And she goes, he just never stops talking about this place. And I was like, oh, that's that's really cool. And she goes, I mean, like, wait, it's, it's all like, I can't wait till Saturday, da, 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 da. And of course, you know, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And inside, I'm like, okay, that's awesome. It's just like, you know, great things you want to do. Um, and a while back, he he's gotten really into like making prop weapons for like going to cons or um, you know that kind of thing. And so he made me one. He just made this big old um, uh, sword, and I loved it. Thought it was great. And so the next week, he came in, and I had just put it on the wall behind the counter, and he was like. 
oh, you like, it, it's just here? I'm like, yeah, man, you made it for me. It looks great. It's a sword. Fits the aesthetic. Like, let's do it. And he was like, oh, I I just didn't think that, I mean, that that's really cool. And he got, got a little flustered, but it was like, yeah, like, this is, this is your space as much as it is mine. You're here seven hours every Saturday playing Magic. Like, enjoy it. Yeah, you made me a thing. I love it. It's great. It's on the wall. And I get to sit there and be like, yeah, this kid named Annie, like, comes in every week. He makes prop weapons. It's there up on the shelf. It's great. Um, and that's, like, that's the big core of making people feel like they have that space is it is a communal space. It is a community. It is a thing that they contribute to. And I mean, from everything down to influencing what we stock or how we stock it to, you know, we have a shelf with local artists, um, that have their stuff there. So it, it is very much that like, yes, my store, but also your store because I don't have a store without you coming in. I love it. I think that's a really good place to wind up this conversation a little bit because that's a perfect end note to be like, this is exactly what we're aiming for. This is the kind of thing that makes, you know, that's the feel goods, right? Like that's, there's something like even deeper than just like, oh, I started a business. I've got a successful business. It's great. It's like, there's something more there, right? There's something human. Yeah. that gets brought out. That's uh, it's yeah. that it's that moment of like, yeah, this is this is why I want to do this. This is what I'm doing, and this is why I like it so much. Changing people's lives while also, you know, taking care of your your family and building something real and, and impacting people, right? In more in more ways than just selling them new board games, right? Exactly, exactly. All right, so I want to wrap up on one final question. Sure. And that is, uh, so the the overall concept and the the the, the reason that this podcast really exists is, you know, we're trying to figure out what does success look like for a local game store? What does it mean to really be successful? And that can be a really personal or ambiguous term, right? Because one person's uh, success might be someone else's failure, right? Like, so there's different definitions. And right. I want to end on what's your personal definition of success for Elysium and maybe for, you know, what you're hoping to achieve for yourself. Yeah, um, I think... Uh, and I, I put a lot of thought into it from the very beginning because um, I also want to make sure I tempered my expectations of what I was going to do. And I think that um, my my goal for Elysium is, and, and for myself, is if I can get to the point where I'm working like a modest 40 hours a week um, and, you know, not losing my mind over stress and am at a point where I can provide the space to be hosting community events, doing more than just the game store thing, um, but also having fundraisers and everything else um, to the point. I mean, like, I think, I think one of the tangible things that I had, I had talked to one of my friends about was there's a space in our, our plaza that's been empty forever. Um, it's one of the anchor tenant spaces and it's like, 11, 12,000 square feet. So it's huge. And that's become our like one day, like thing. <laughs> we just pass it and we're like, I don't know, one day, our little almost 2,000 square foot place. So yeah, I guess pie in the sky is big place, you know, 10, 12,000 square feet. And also, I can go on vacation and not worry about it and know that the culture and community I've built in there survives in my absence or you know 
without having to be there seven days a week. That's a very fine definition of success because I think that that really fits the uh, the mold of what uh, the friendly local game store book kind of tells you, right? Like this is this is where you want to be, right? Just living a good good life, right? Where the place isn't going to burn down when you walk away. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's let the audience know where people can find you. If they want to check out what you're, what you're doing, if they want to find out more about Elysium or want to get in touch with you, where would they go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is ElysiumCAG.com. So that's E-L-Y-S-I-U-M-C-A-G, like cards and games, uh, .com. It's got links to all of our socials. Um, all of our events go on Facebook. We're also pinned to the top of uh, Watsi's Event Locator as a premium store. So anywhere around Fair Oaks, California, um, we'll see it there. And, uh, yeah, we're in Fair Oaks, California. If you're local, it's by Madison and Fair Oaks. Um, and we're always available to reach on any of our socials or anything like that. So, Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. This is a fun conversation. And I think people who are listening to this right now are going to get a ton of value out of this because I think this is a message that they need to hear more often. And I think all the, you know, the people who are doing really well, the ones that are growing, the game stores that are, are doing something really special, I think they're already on board or at least on the path that you've described. And the ones who are just getting started, this is the thing that you need to pay paying attention to. So thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, thanks for having me. It's, it's great to, to get it out there and help other people also, you know, live that dream. Let's raise the tides and raise the boats. Exactly. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show, and thanks to Tyler for coming on and sharing his wisdom with us. I'm Tom Traplin, I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Podcast.